Welcome to Pancom Podcast from Nick's Front Porch Studios, brought to you by Petey the Dog and m- nobody. <laughs> this is this is actually with Petey the Dog looking at us through the window. This is the most this has ever looked like a radio situation. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Live studio audience, laugh track and everything. Well, I feel like he's the producer back there, right? Nah, like, it's good. Bring like putting. Okay, we got a caller on line one. You know who's the producer on Levitard's show? That's pretty. That looks like him. Oh, there's uh, Mike Ryan. There you go. Petey, that's Petey's our, Mi- our Mike Ryan. Yeah, Petey Ryan. Let me just stick new batteries in this thing because we're Sorry. starting off real good here. And we're back after we changed the batteries. And now, with a brand new set of batteries, we are back on Pancom Podcast from Front Porch Studio 9A. That's the number I just came up with out of nowhere. Nick's Front Porch Studios. That's right, on the famous parrot table. Oh, um, man. This table is pretty impressive. I mean, this was actually uh, uh, my grandmother's table. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's cool. Way too cool that, for me to think that you actually bought it. <laughs> you know me too well. Yeah. Um, so... This is our first guestless episode in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing it for a number of reasons. So, um, so reasons. just to give people a little bit of a preview of what you're in for um, on this episode, we're going to start talking about Cuba related things. Um, and then we're going to get into more food, restaurant, dining, travel, whatever related things. Sure. Just We're going to cover a bunch of ground. But we will start with Cuba stuff. Do you want to take it here? Or? Yeah, I mean, um, this was one of those impromptu podcasts, yeah. right? Where this wasn't a plan. Today, by the way, is uh, July 11, 2021. We got a helicopter overhead when there's not a Zamboni. <laughs> there's a helicopter. They're coming to get me. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's been uh, quite some activity in Cuba. Um, a lot more activity we've seen in, uh, in a long time. That's right. Protests throughout the country. Yep. Uh, more activity by, uh, the people than we've seen in quite some time. And I think it's just something that needs to be spoken about and supported. And the more people talk about things like this, the better off we are. Um, because as we've said before, usually what the goal is, is to, not get any word out of Cuba, uh, so people don't know how quite bad things are there. And, you know, the uh, New York Times just posted an article, which is, you know, impressive, I would guess, right, for the New York Times to do that. Um, and the headline, oh, man, this is, there we go. Where is the headline? It's right here somewhere. Hold on. It's always at the top. Yeah. No, is that, <laughs> that's usually where it's located? <laughs> Says uh, Cubans denounce misery in biggest protests in decades. The rallies, widely viewed as astonishing for a country that limits dissent, mm-hmm. were set off by economic crisis worsened by the pandemic. And I think it's important to note that um, on a previous podcast with Rosa Maria, um, she mentioned, and I think you reposted yeah. about um, five cargo containers full of um, all kinds of things to support the country and the people of the country, and then the Cuban government did not allow them into the country, or they confiscated that and then sold it back to the people anyways, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah, the the story was, uh, so uh, 
Rosa Maria Payas organization and others uh, had coordinated to uh, gather humanitarian aid donations, filled, um, I forget if it was one or more, you know, uh, cargo containers. And the story was that first uh, the shipment was, you know, held up for a long time. And then eventually the Cuban government took all of that, you know, what should have been humanitarian aid, distributed, if I remember correctly, through churches, mm. and then ended up basically putting it in, in store shelves and selling it to Cuban citizens rather than giving it to them, which is you know, how humanitarian aid generally uh, should work. And that supposedly has happened with more than one, you know, uh, source of humanitarian aid, I, if I'm... I, could be botching this. We're kind of doing this a little bit on the fly here. I, I think maybe there was some like UN aid that that also happened. So, um, so I yeah, honestly don't remember. Yeah, regu- regular practice. Well, I think the UN thing would have been more recent, like in the last. Oh, yeah, a, a more recent thing. Um, the some of the the misery stuff. I, I think that the, if not the first, one of the first and biggest protests in in this wave of protests was in San Antonio de los Baños, which is uh, in Artemisa. Uh, south of Havana, and um, a, a big contributing factor there was uh, that the government has been, as, as it often does, um, uh, basically switching electricity on and off, right? And so, especially now in the summer, to be without electricity, i.e. Uh, air conditioning in Cuba is pretty fucking brutal. Mm. Um, so that, coupled with the already just baseline you know, shit that you have to deal with being in Cuba, plus COVID, which Cuba's handling of COVID has been dumb uh, and inept. And, uh, you know, they've been more concerned with treating it as a a threat to their control than treating it as a a legitimate, you know, health crisis. Um, All of that has sort of come to a head now uh, with these protests that have begun in various cities in Cuba. Mm. So when was the last time we saw a protest like this? It, it's it's tough for me to to compare to other things in, in part because well number one because I, I haven't really had my head too deep into this issue, um, uh, but also because like in video that you see it's all shot at ground level, so there's not like drone footage. Or I'm talking about historically, right, right, right. But what I mean is that it's tough to know like really how big the protests are because some of the stories you see say hundreds, others say thousands. Uh, and and so on. The closest thing that I can think of was 1994's Maleconazo. Uh, but this was 1994, uh, so pre-internet you know internet in Cuba. Right. Um, and so while that was huge in Havana, and it was, uh, it was a huge deal to the point that, and we'll get into maybe some of this in a second, uh, the, the, go- the government did respond, and there was like all kinds of property damage. Like it, it, some people, or at least some pockets of it, you might be able to describe as like riots, um, but it was it was similar in that it was like the peak of the special period, uh, and it was people sort of like lashing out at the government for not uh, for you know what they saw and what was the government being responsible for their their misery for their st- starving and they're not having access to shit. Um, so that's probably the closest analog I can think of in that it was you know it was big it was. Uh, tied a lot to economics, right? As opposed to, like, somebody's in prison or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, you know, one of the results of it was the the rafter crisis that, that we were kids during that. Right. Uh, so the, the Cuban government 
basically just was, you know, they, they released the valve, which they is, you know, typically their MO. So there's too much political pressure here. We're going to release the valve and say, okay, if you want to leave, you can leave and 35,000 people do. Um, and so, you know, same deal with Mariel, right. In the eighties, uh, similar thing, right. It gets to a certain point of tension. Okay. We'll release the valve and let people leave. And they're more preoccupied with whether and how they leave than they are with addressing any of the problems here in Cuba, which of course is convenient to the dictatorship. Right. What they do with this, who knows? And I think it also, the big variable here is how cell phone and internet access right. affect people. I mean, I think in, in 1994, um, I think the regime had more, was a little more stable than it is today. I think that things like internet, communication, easily being able to communicate with the outside world has changed a lot because information is more readily available. Communication is more readily available. So I think that's why, at least starting this podcast talking about that, uh, it was the goal of today, Yeah, which is to continue the conversation and to continue to push the things. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I would guess that this is the first time in a while I've actually seen local politicians talk about this and talk about the support for the Cuban people. Because, as we've mentioned before also on the podcast, a lot of media outlets don't take time into Cuba as a country because it doesn't really benefit them very much. Am I wrong here? I, I, I don't think that you're wrong. I think um, – I do think that local politicians talk about Cuba. Definitely this is difficult for just about anybody to uh, to ignore. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, like in my observation, the, the worst – or one of the worst offenders, or like a good example of somebody who really will only like turn his attention to the the negative side of Cuba when it like is absolutely impossible to ignore is uh, uh, his last name is Oppmann. He's the CNN bureau chief in Havana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at, for example, his Twitter feed. And granted, for me to just judge everything by his Twitter feed, but I think it's like a little microcosm. It's it's a little shocking to me that there's like maybe three tweets about it. Like you're the CNN Havana guy, yeah, and you got three tweets about this right now. Yeah, but I mean you you also I mean you know better than I do that the reason why they don't do that if they're he's in Havana. Yeah, I mean that's why. Well, I don't I don't know if he's literally in Havana at this moment, but he's the he's the CNN Havana guy. Right. So I mean that's how they get kicked out, right? Yeah, yeah. There's you there are risks that you take on, and and then there's all the stuff of like you know. Do you want to be there when the big change happens? And the interesting thing now is, like, some people might think this is, if not the big change, the first part of that story that you've been there for, right? Mm-hmm. So um, to, to me, you know, one of the things that concerns me is the question of, like, I, I don't know enough about, like, <laughs> behind the scenes, who's behind what, how all of these protests came together. You know, maybe there was some kind of, you know, coordination there. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe it really was completely spontaneous. Either way, I don't think that really matters. Um, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But I, I also think that the idea of communication and being able to communicate easily and see other people doing the same thing is part of the reason why it would happen in several parts of Cuba more than just one. You know, you understand what I'm saying? That oh, yeah. even even if it wasn't an organized effort. They saw it happening somewhere else and said, fuck, we could do this too. We can do this here and we could do this here. And then that's kind of like when you get a widespread thing. For sure. You know, I know that um, my my family was trying to communicate with their family there. 
uh, with our family there and all communication was cut off, which is a big, I mean, it's a big thing, right? For that, sure. And that, and that means that the, the government is, is a little shook. Yeah. And, and when I say coordination, I don't necessarily mean like, um, you know, in that sense, I mean, strategically, like what is the message of the protests? Because it, and it's completely understandable that a protest would, would be sparked by sort of just a, a boiling over of all of this misery and material need and all that. What concerns me is I don't know whether there are people uh, and organizations and, you know, uh, elements of this movement that are prepared to really give focus to the whole thing. Because mm-hmm. at some point, maybe this is just me being a pain in the ass pessimist, maybe. but You're a pessimist? I, I, honestly, I wouldn't say that I am. But Fuck off. No, I don't, I don't think pessim- I am. Get the f- okay. I don't think I am. Go, continue. But I, I don't think that an unfocused just – Let's, for lack of a better word, like an uprising or a, a giant protest movement, undoes the dictatorship. Right. Right. What I do think is, like, if if you already have that going on, whether it was spontaneous or not, if you can channel that into actually putting points on the board, right? So, for example, now that you have all this international attention, and like Residente from Calle 13 is tweeting. Uh, critically of the Cuban government. Uh, so is, let's say, like Daddy Yankee, right? And not that these are the most consequential people in, like, human rights. Yeah, but it's more eyeballs. It's more eyeballs. And so if you can leverage that to create pressure such that, okay, now that this pressure is there, can we pressure them into actually letting us send humanitarian aid and get it directly to the, to the people? And not only does that get them the aid, but it would be a major win for all of these Cubans to see, like, oh, we did this. And we managed to get a container of aid without these assholes picking it up and putting it on shelves and trying to sell it to us. Right. Maybe this is the opening for something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that there are people um, looking to capitalize and and put points on the board in that way. I worry that people are just caught up in this, like, let's all chant slogans and, uh, and wave flags, which there's a place for that. And that's important because you need those visuals, you need that energy and all that. But if there's not also an element of like, what is the tactical response here? Yeah. I mean, you need a focus, right? You need a focus. And I think the, I think to have that focus is why we have these conversations, right? Right. It's like the, the country's not just going to become free over overnight. And I'm sure that there's a lot of things that are happening that we would never know. Right. With people that are hundred percent trying a lot harder um, and doing a lot more than we are to make that, you know, to make that happen. Right. Who they are and what they're doing, I I don't know. All I think is that, like you said, is that this starts to show that there is a conversation to be had. Right. And, I mean, it's true. What is the focus of this protest specifically? You know, is it to just keep the lights on so everyone has air conditioning or is it to get humanitarian aid? Is it going to get other places to assist in that? Or I, I don't really know. Yeah. And, and I think even on the individual level, right? Like, and this is a conversation that you and I have had. Maybe we haven't like arrived anywhere in the last several hours. But even just, you know, if you're the person listening, uh, you know, uh, to me, it also means, okay, what do I do with this other than just share things, right? Is there a, a window or an opening for me to actually do a thing mm. that's that's uh, of meaning, whether it's to a political movement or to my cousin in Cuba or to some random artist I heard of over there? Like, is is to, what what can I do here that I couldn't do forty eight hours ago? Right. 
uh, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do think it's important for all of us to to have that question in the back of our minds. Because mm-hmm. if you're not looking for the opportunity, it goes right by you. Like with anything else, right? Whether it's a business or right. whatever. Like if you're not constantly vigilant about those opportunities, you find out about them when they've already passed you by. Passed you by. Well, I mean, I, I think hopefully we continue to see more, I guess, traction. Right. We get to see more, like, push. I, it's very um, – I feel great seeing people, the Cuban people, push, yeah. you know, within the country. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, and obviously we've seen, like, little kind of, like, spots of that over the last, I think, year. But to see more of a an effort throughout the country, it makes me feel pretty good that mm-hmm. – um, People should be concerned. Yeah. You know, when it talks about, like, the, the people that are in power, the more the people know that they have they have lots and lots of power, that they control, they can really control their own destiny, I think uh, the more fearful that that government will be because right. there's more people than there are them. Sure. So, you know. So I'd say... Um... Just to kind of keep it in the in the podcast family and things that we've referred to before, I would encourage people to follow Rosa Maria Paya um, and Cuba Decide, Cuba Decide, uh, which Cuba Decide translates to Cuba Decides, but there's no S at the end. Uh, if you're a Spanish speaker, I especially encourage you to follow Rosa Maria and Cuba Decide on Facebook because she does a weekly, maybe sometimes more than weekly, uh, sort of live-streamed podcast. She she records a radio show for Radio Martí um, that's broadcast into Cuba, and so she'll like stream live on Facebook when she's doing that broadcast or recording that broadcast. Uh, and that, I think, especially if you speak Spanish, is a good way to kind of keep tabs on some of this stuff. Um and uh, and I would just encourage people, like, if you have thoughts of things that we should be aware of, you know, DM us or email us or whatever. It's podcast at dadmag.com. Uh, and then, of course, all of the usual social media messaging things. Um, with that, I think we can shift gears awkwardly to a different thing. Let's talk about this rum that you're drinking. I've never quite seen this. I don't uh, know where that Navy came from. Bay Rum Dark Jamaican Rum. I don't know where that came from. Uh, you it, know, it'll it's doing the job. Is it doing the job? It's doing the job. Uh, but there's a reason why it's been on my bar for a very long time. Yeah, I've that, been drunk. That you know, the. Ooh. <laughs> I just. I'm drinking a Monopolio. It's delicious. Absol. It's absolutely. You know, invigorating at this point. Oh, man. Thanks to Monopolio, by the way. Uh, they don't have an ad on this one, but I'll throw them a little bone here. Yeah. Uh, they are our newest advertiser for just a little bit. Look at that. Uh, so People Monopolio beer. with their word. It's nice. Cerveceria Monopolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Cerveza Monopolio. One of the two. Um, so keep an eye out for ads by Monopolio. Um, the last time that we did one of these, we were in a very different place as far as uh, tasting menus at Ariad. So, you had not started this year's Versos dinners, and mm-hmm. there was no such thing as a nightly tasting. Right. Uh, so, talk a little bit about such where things o- are. Such an awkward shift, huh? Well, you know, what do you want to do? Let's, I don't know. It's just, maybe, do we, can we take a commercial break, or we don't do that here? Boop. There. <laughs> yeah, so, after the 31st of December, we took, like, a hard break from doing uh, our 
very involved tastings that we close the restaurant. And then uh, I think we took four months off. And uh, we did what I thought was the probably one of the better tastings that or better services that we've ever had. This was in, in May, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah May. Um, and, you know, I... May 20th, Cuba's Independence Day. Cuban, Cuba's yeah. Independence Day. Also the day I was supposed to do a dun- another dinner with South Beach Food and Wine Festival that I decided not to do because we had disagreements about the dinner itself. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. Sure, that's fine. We could totally touch on all the reasons why I have issues with the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. Um, so, anyways, you know, I... I think it was it was great from several angles. One of the reasons was, you know, I took five months to um, really think about all the food on that menu and um, really give it a chance, like give the team a chance to think it all the way through. You know, when we're doing the, the dinners every month, especially during COVID, um, during the peak of COVID, I guess you would say, you know, we had a very small roster. You know, our team was very tight, very small, um, and we were doing like these, we're basically doing 10 to 12 new dishes every single month, and it, w- it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot of work, and I think it was uh, it was one of those things that we wanted the experience to be a certain way, and after a while, I think I definitely ran out of gas, and so did the team, so taking those four months off was, was pivotal, and also because... Um, of just being the way that I am, I really wanted that dinner to be exceptional because, um, you know, not doing that dinner for Sobe and basically saying that we're going to do our own thing and we're only going to do it with 40 people. And, you know, I, I took it even a little more personal than I usually do. Um, so I, the, it was incredibly well executed. Uh, the service side was, almost flawless you know we we did dishes that we have never done before there was not one dish that we had ever done before and they were all incredibly good there was obviously some favorites actually one one dish from that menu is on our daily tasting menu now okay um and then one dish from that menu we morphed into uh another variation of that dish and that's actually on the menu regular menu right now which is what uh, we did a short rib in Eel Wellington uh, for that with, like, uh, asparagus and um, – fuck, it was asparagus and I think it was some kind of hollandaise, I think. Okay. I, don't, I don't really remember totally. Or it was, like, some kind of beef shoe. But we did uh, – now on the menu we have a monkfish in Eel Wellington um, with, like, a caviar creme fraiche served with a side of uh, squid ink gnocchi and black truffle. And um, – you know, it was just kind of like we always, you know, like, can we do a Wellington? Can we can we make it executable for service that it's still, you know, to our standards and whatever? And I think because that, that one that night came out, went so smoothly uh, that we were like, fuck it. Let's just try to put it on the menu. It actually hit the menu last week. Okay. Last week. So it took two more months of kind of like workshopping it. But Chefs Manny and Ashley really nailed it, and they did a, a incredible job. But just... I think the what that that night really showed us is that we we are capable of doing a lot um, with food, even in that very weird 
kitchen that we have there uh, and in that interesting dining room, um, I thought we executed what I would believe is one to two star Michelin type of service. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the room echoed that fact and they, they agreed. I remember that was roughly the review you got from uh, Chef Miguel. Senor Miguel, yeah. You know, I I got a lot of love for Miguel. Miguel's eaten all over the world. He's worked in amazing places. And um, Miguel had the wine pairing, so he was he had quite a bit to drink. And then afterwards, we sat and we had a drink together. And um, he definitely went dish by dish. And it was good to hear because he's uh, a chef I have a lot of respect for. So, you know, for him to give me notes on all the food. And I obviously have had my own notes and the team had their notes and things like that. But it was good to hear the perspective from a diner. Because, yep. you know, a diner is obviously incredible to get their feedback, but a diner that's also been in the industry that long, it's, um, I think it's pivotal to, to take those, take that input and take those critiques and kind of, you know, see how you can better yourself. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like, you want, do you want like highlights? I mean, we, we could do that some other time, okay. but tell me about the decision to add a, a nightly tasting menu because that's new. Yeah, I mean, it's really more of um, the direction that I always wanted that restaurant to go into. Um, what, what was it that took you to the place of like, okay, we hadn't yet, and now we can and we will? I think we could have like six months ago, Okay, right? Um, I think that my team is great, but they, they definitely um, – I wouldn't say that they play it safe, but they they like to be safer than sorrier. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense? Yeah, yeah. And um, so finally the decision to just put one on there was uh, I at first only did dishes that were actually on the menu to let them know that we can do this from a service side. And then from that point, I said, okay, now we're going to do all different food. Right. And um, I think they were more worried that we couldn't execute it. But the first six tickets – on the board yesterday on a Saturday night service, the first six and the first hour and a half were all tastings. I think in oh, total, wow. I think in total it was twenty-one tastings. Yeah, and one of them finished with a duck. Wow. Yeah, it was impressive. It was actually a six-top, so they um, they had six tastings and then they split a duck. Still. Yeah. So it's very cool. Um, yeah. You know, I I I think they're doing a, a, a great job. Not only keeping up, but kind of innovating a little bit more because now it's, I think there's only one, actually one dish that's on the tasting and actually on the menu. Um, so it's good to see them kind of grow into that place that they want to push the envelope a little more, a little bit more because they feel like, you know, they're capable of doing it. And that's really, I always wanted that restaurant to have a tasting menu. I wanted it to, um, the idea has always been like, be fine dining ish but with very little pretense to it like if you come in shorts or come in dressed like you know how you always dress um then you know you could have a tasting and you can have a thousand dollar bottle of wine or you can have a fifty dollar bottle of wine it really doesn't matter very typical for me also also um or a red solo cup for you uh it doesn't really matter we're going to treat you the same way we're going to show you an incredible experience and we're going to try to you know show you a little bit about who we are Yep. That's always been the purpose behind that restaurant. Have a tasting or have a burger, whatever the fuck you want. Right. So, th- I think that was the goal. I, and and you get you get that from people who, especially regulars, like you have people who uh, have I think sort of connected with that and who 
who do go one day and do the duck yeah. and the taste, and then they'll be jonesing for that burger and and talk about it like it's the thing to do, you know? I have a great friend that he's actually uh, my best friend's older cousin, and him and his wife were at this, like, baseball tournament for their kid, and then they drove down, and they live in the Gables, and they were like, you know, let's get something to eat before. And, um, I mean, they eat at, like, great places. They love great food. And they were like, you know, we just wanted to get something simple, like, before we went home. But they had, like, the regular stuff, you know, chicken, venison, whatever, yeah. like, um, you know, a couple old fashions, a couple spicy margaritas, whatever it is. And they were telling me they hadn't been in a couple months, and um, they were telling me, I was like, you know, I didn't know that you guys had a tasting. Like, I I would, I totally love the fact that I can come here now like this, but then if I want to come back next week and I want to dress up and I want to have a tasting menu, I want to drink nice Sitting champagne. Next Nick and his red solo cup. Right. I can do that, too. <laughs> and that's always been the goal for that place is to be something for everybody uh, and to have, like, Again, you want to come in and have a burger and a cocktail. Yeah. You want to come in and have a burger and a beer. Um, you can. It's just uh, I-, I wanted to show that kind of range, and cool. I think we have. But also, long-term goals for me personally is to open up a you know tasting-only restaurant and something that um, I think doing it on a nightly basis shows that we definitely can. And uh, be- doing these tasting events also shows that you know, what we're really capable of, even in a situation that the restaurant's not really built for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I would really love to see that long-term kind of play out. So just because it's it's tangentially connected, mm-hmm. um, let's not get into because not because I don't want it out there, but because we've covered that ground before. We don't need to get into everything you don't like about the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Right. But because you brought it up, tell me about the dinner you were going to do and then didn't do that led into... It was simple. We were told that we had full carte blanche of whatever we wanted to do. All the people that were involved said, we want to use small boutique wineries. They don't distribute those wines. I said, well, you still still got to get them because this is what you told us that you could do. And they said, no. I said, okay, are you sure? And they said, yeah, we're sure. I said, okay, so I'm not going to do the dinner. And they said, why not? I said, this is what we were told. I was very specific. I think the whole team was specific. Yep. You know, if they want to continue doing the dinner, they can. I'm not telling them that they don't, right. I, that they shouldn't. Yeah, they, they can have flexibility that you don't want to have. It's not even about being flexible. I, like, I don't, like, I don't care. I don't need that fucking them sure. or that fucking dinner or their stupid fucking events. I, the only reason I wanted to do that dinner was to cook with Zach, Alex, and Lucci, um, you know, the guys from Price, like, that's the only reason I want to do it. I don't give a fuck about South Beach. That shit doesn't help us. It really doesn't. Like, what, to rub elbows with Bobby Flay? Like, no, I don't care. Like, it doesn't help me at all. So, at the end, and also, it was going to be an incredibly difficult dinner to do because of where were we going to do it and the amount of people that they wanted to serve. And then they gave us stipulations on how much our dish should cost. And I'm like, you know, we don't have fucking carte blanche. So... I'm going to do my own dinner. I didn't, I didn't remember about the stipulations on what it should cost. Right. Yeah. It was like, I don't know. Like, they wanted me to do an entree for like, I don't know, 11 bucks or nine bucks, some, some, something like that, which is doable. But also, I, I let me come up with my own thing. Right. If, you, if you're going to give me carte blanche, don't give me rules. 
Right. This is not how the or part- tell you up front like this is the box you're working inside of right. and let you decide at that point whether you want to do that. But and obviously after everything I got a bunch of shit from a bunch of people and blah, and I was like, you know, that's totally fine. You can give me all the shit that you want, but I don't care. I don't need them, right? They need us. And the sooner that that we realize that they need us a lot fucking more than we need them, then we're going to be in better shape. Because if we continue to let them steamroll us, right? Oh, here's your $500 stipend. Here's a $300. Fuck you and fuck your fucking $300 stipend. That doesn't do shit. Like, I can't buy $300 worth of food to feed 5,000 people or however the fuck you want me to feed. And I get it. There's people that love doing those events. That's fine. I'm just not one of them. Right, yeah. If it's for them, it's for them. I'd much rather do a dinner with my team, involve my team, and if people want to come, they want to come. If they don't, they don't. I'm, I'm willing to bet that, you know, I'm not saying that you will have, like, created this wave of of people doing this, but I'd be surprised if come next year there wasn't at least one person who decided, hey, you know that thing Mike did? I think I'm going to do my own event. No, but people do them. People have done them in the past. No, no, I know. But like so, Caesar and, and Andy did it. Like, they did their own, right. like, pre-whatever Sobe thing. But, you know, like, of course, the, the festival hates counter-programming because they don't like to compete against anybody. Yeah. Because you, how dare you? the fuck? You have, like, all the fucking, all the money you need to market your shit. You should market other things in the city, too. But they don't. And I, like, I've talked to so many other chefs about things like this and the other stories, I, and I wouldn't share them because they're their stories to share, are just, like, it's so fucking dumb. The sooner we realize they're not here for us, they're here for them, then the better off we'll be. Yep. You know, and it, it's just, it's exhausting to a point. And that's totally fucking fine with me. It's just like overall, the way some of the, uh, some of these larger, I don't know what the fuck you would call them, media outlets or events like South Beach treat locals is fucking trash. And you know, I do, I, I do also know, I, I know for a fact that I get more shit than the other ones because I'm more vocal about how much they suck at their fucking job than other people are. Right? Yeah. No? No, no. Well, what I was going to say, I'm not disagreeing with you. What I was going to say was, you know, I think that there's also something to be said for, you know, listen, if if you're not really about dealing with locals or people in certain neighborhoods or certain types of restaurants in an X, Y, or Z way, it would be very different, I imagine, from your perspective if people were just upfront about that. Like, listen, this is what we're trying to pull off. If you yeah. if you want in, cool, and if you don't, that's fine. But what what gets me is that it seems like there's a lot of hurt feelings when you don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. No, apparently I hurt a bunch of people's feelings. And I was like, oh, uh, okay, okay. Right. I don't, I mean, it's just, it was pretty simple. We said one thing. We have carte blanche to do whatever we want. You said yes. Then we had rules. Right. So it's not carte blanche. Right. That's just, there are no other facts to that. And like, um, people can say whatever they want. You can buy the most expensive. It's, I didn't want the most expensive thing. I just wanted my thing. Right. It could have been cheaper. But I, it, just because you didn't distribute it doesn't mean that you can't provide it for me. Right, right, right. So all in all, I think everything in life happens for a reason. And the fact that I didn't do that dinner, I think that Ariette had the most outstanding service that it's had to date. Mm-hmm. We executed food that I think is uh, better, better than anything I've ever been involved with in my career. And I've cooked some great food with some great people. And I was, I was much 
happier seeing like spending it with my team right than i would have been uh making the south beach food and wine festival money right because that's what i would have done yeah so here's another awkward transition going from that tasting to a tasting that will happen on wednesday before we get into that oh sure because i just want to like the whole thing of like how locals kind of get shit on um this past week uh news came out that I'll be opening up a restaurant in um, downtown. I I think we've spoken about it before on the show. In very loose terms, yeah. Right. So, you know, we're part of the Miami World Center. We're opening up a location. It's about 2,700 square feet. It's going to be a French-Cuban brasserie uh, with a small attachment uh, called Chug's Express, which is like going to be a grab-and-go window, like a true ventanita in the middle of downtown. And then next to that, we're opening up a bar-slash-cigar shop bar what i don't know how you how we put that called el vecino which was actually nick's idea for a name which is good yes it was yeah it was i'll (laughs) give him credit for that still not giving him credit for pongo podcast but we'll we'll leave that for another receipts yeah whatever so um you know a local miami outlet ran an article and the headline of the article was only talking about the other people in the press release that are from chicago and not one mention of me and i don't care Right. Like I didn't I was just like, whatever, this is prototypical for me. What I did love was someone else locally on Twitter calling them out for it. And that just shows that there are people that care about this thing. There are people that care about the locals doing cool things. And those are the reasons I think that we are still around. And the reason that we're successful is because the community supports us um, and they want to see us succeed. Now, just to be clear, because I, I did see that. But I don't know what else. Just that one. was just that article. Yeah, I haven't seen any other ones. Because I could see like, okay, well, we did a few articles and this one is about these Chicago people. And then there's another one about... Well, they still mentioned me in the article. There was a sentence and a half. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's cool. I mean, if we want to talk about another chef that's not from here, I'm sure Danny Green or Ganim or whatever whatever his name is is great. Um, But, you know, they're not locals. And that's partly why our... The culture of food down here is so defunct because we want to give more credit to people that are from out of town than we do for the people that are from here. Right. And it's exhausting. And you would think that after the last fucking year we went through, maybe you would give a little more credit to the fucking local people trying to do shit instead of just saying, hey, these Chicago people are company. It's a click thing, though. That's, that's not to say that it's good, but that's that's ultimately what I it could is. also probably guarantee you that I probably would have gotten as many, if not more, clicks. I'm not saying that, that it even is executed right, but I, I think that's within their minds when they do it. Well, I, no, I think it's also personal. Okay. I mean, I think it, for sure it's personal. But were there not other locals who got shafted or not shafted, but still no, there was the same only, uh, there was only two people opening up places in that article, okay. right? Because they've only released two names that are going. Got there. it. They're okay. opening up uh, two restaurants. We're opening up a restaurant in uh, the – I don't know yeah. what we're going to call it. Cigar bar. Cigar bar? Cigar bar sounds cigar fair. Bar? I mean, we, we haven't talked about the – Deep details of what well, it is. Well, there's a bar, and then there's a humidor. It sounds like a cigar bar. Done. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. You won't see it on the New Times, though. Go but a, go a lounge, maybe? No. A lounge. You know that I feel like you're going to hear tiki tiki music, and there's going to be purple lights. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I but yeah, well, I'm sure at some other point we'll we'll talk more about uh, Laurel. and Are we going to Laurel? I Laurel do Laurel or... for my white friends. Okay. Or Yanni. Or who? Oh, you don't get the joke. Some people will. 
There was like a thing uh, on the internet about some audio that said Laurel, but like, remember like the dress that was, some people saw it like black and blue and other people saw white and gold? No. Oh man, you're super disconnected from things. I am. Uh, by, I am. by the way, uh, this is a little bit of a, a, a going back to the Cuba thing, because uh, when I reshared that clip, uh, you know, I rewatched it, and it only occurred to me in that moment, there's a point where Rosa Maria Paya says that Cuba had blocked access to Telegram. And I think... Because you reacted like, they're blocking Telegram? And I think that you thought what was happening was that they were blocking, like, actual Telegrams. <laughs> there's, an app, there's an app called Telegram. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's this what is, she meant. This, again, shows how disconnected I am. I'm like, we got Telegrams? This yeah. <laughs> they blocking Morse code, too? Like, what the fuck? Jeez. So, um, so anyway. So, so, so is Telegram, like, WhatsApp? It, it's more like Signal, which I'm sure you also don't know what about. What the fuck is that? It's like for people who want to keep secrets. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like so Morse code it's, it's, is it's definitely like, out. It's like encrypted. It's more of a competitor to WhatsApp, but not Facebook owned, so people trust it more with their secrets. Right. Cuz yeah. Zuck's not in there. Yeah, exactly. They don't want Zuck Zucker all the their, sucker all up in their shit. Yeah. Mr. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg or whatever the people are calling. You heard it here first Zuckerberg, <laughs> then they drop a fucking missile right on our, on this <laughs> right on your caddy. <laughs> no, no. Caddy's the the house though. Feel free to bomb the Acura. That's fine. Yeah, um, or whatever that thing is. Yeah, my my sister's cube. Yeah. Um, anyway, so on Wednesday we're doing another tasting, and this is a a, a little bit of a, a thing, a little bit of a milestone. We are. Wednesday is the dinner. Oh, the, the Pancom podcast thing. Man, I yeah, got it. You know, no, I know. Uh, no, I know. Thankfully, um, we've been sponsored by so many people for this thing. Um, I think it's going to be quite a good time. It'll be a good time. So uh, just to give people a sense of what we're even talking about and, and why we haven't publicized this, because this is uh, we're recording this on July 11th. This will be July 14. Before uh, COVID hit and shut the world down, we had been kind of bouncing around ideas of uh, for live events. And then, of course, those became uh, those were taken off the table by a pandemic. Um, July 14, we will do our first live event and this will be uh, a small intimate gathering of past guests who also are in the food business and who also smoke cigars and the idea is that there will be a uh, a podcast we record that will be a conversation between mike and norman van aken who has uh, not been on the podcast in close to two years now which is uh, incredible to think about uh so the two of you will talk while these guests uh, enjoy a tasting menu, and then we'll all smoke cigars and drink some booze. Um, but the idea is that we'll continue to do these every so often. Sometimes they'll be like that, invite only, and sometimes they'll be ticketed events, more open to the public. So if you are listening, uh, you may be able to uh, to join us for that. Um, but I think it'll be a good time. If I'm if I can remember correctly, the guest list looks something like uh, Nidal Baraque, who's been on the podcast, of course, John Falco. Um, uh, Alex and Lucci. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Larry Carino is going to be in the building for this. Yeah. So, yeah, jo- Michael the JoJo oh, will be man. around. Michael the JoJo will uh, also Carolina Quijano. Oh, uh, so uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we're we're working with some brands and stuff, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be a good time and and keeping an, an eye out for announcements of other things that you can go to. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to, to also like bring some of these people who've been on the podcast back in for like another thing and, yeah. and bring them more into the fold. 
for some reason, all those people like uh, actually agreed to be on the podcast, and it seems right. like they all uh, had a pretty good time. So yeah. that's nice that they're coming back and uh, enjoying another night with us. For sure. That this is something anybody would want to be in the audience for is pretty mind-blowing. Uh, Maybe we should just put seats in my front lawn. And have well, I mean, they're here. really just coming for the food. They're not that's coming true. to hear me talk shit. That's, that's true. That's for fucking sure. Like, you <laughs> offer, like, free food to that group of people, like, they're going to get into it. Yeah. Matt Kusher will be there. Again. Uh, he's only coming for the free food. He's definitely <laughs> not coming to hear me talk shit. Jose Mending will be in Puerto Rico. He couldn't come. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. I imagine. Now, every time I... I talk to Jose or see him on social media, I just imagine your Yeah. Yeah. Your impersonation hands. I forgot when he asked me about that impersonation, I was like, I don't remember. And then you showed me I was like, yeah, Oh yeah. yeah, no, yeah, that's him. Right. Yeah, that's him. Um so yeah, I mean that's uh I, I won't go into a lot of detail there because we're gonna put out a whole thing, but uh but that'll be a cool a cool time. Um what else we got? I think that's good for today. I think so. You know, like this is like a a, a warm up this yeah. is like a, um, a little foreplay, trying to get back into it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah we've I been mean, out of the game for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time we recorded something for people to listen to? With Nidal. So, two or three weeks. No, three, uh, like three weeks. Three, has it been three weeks? Something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, i got to remember how to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's it. I think, uh, I think we're, we're done here. Thanks, Mike, for coming to my house. To, Thank to you big to house. Uh, Monopolio. Thanks to Monopolio, uh, and thanks also to Aganorsa, hooked us up with some cigars. Uh, we're smoking HVC Serie A, which uh, is not an Aganorsa brand, but is made by Aganorsa for HVC. Uh, Reynier Lorenzo is one of my favorite people in the cigar industry. Uh, I have a, a Reynier Lorenzo impression that, uh, that some people have liked, and, uh, and Reynier is a good dude. So who knows? Maybe he'll be on the podcast at some point in the not-too-distant future. Uh, you can find all of the Pancong Podcast things on social media at Pancong Podcast. That's P-A-N-C-O-N Podcast, like a podcast sandwich. Uh, go to YouTube, youtube.com slash DadeMag, um, and subscribe there. Go to DadeMag.com and look at stuff. Yeah, uh, look at stuff. Look at stuff, share our videos. And Get if, on Patreon. Get on Patreon. And again, the hashtag is SOS Cuba. If you want to follow the Cuba related things, I have a feeling that that'll be going on for, for quite a while. Uh, Let's hope. So, yeah. So that's it. You got anything you want to plug? No, or I mean, you know, yeah. I'm All right. good. Cool. All the things. All the things. Uh, they, here we go. And now for a little shot A. <laughs> all the things. I still got to recommend all my shit. I mean, we've, we've done this 80 times already. All the things. All the things. All the things. Yeah, all the things. All the things. All the things. All the things. All the things.